Thank God. And everybody said praise the Lord. Praise All right, if you have a Bible, I'm going to turn to Luke's account of the gospel. Luke chapter 21. There are three rather outstanding chapters with regards to end time signs. And Luke 21 is one of the three. Luke 21. Good to have each one of you here this morning. We love and appreciate all of you. And we want to take a good look into God's Word. Chapter 21 of Luke. And I'm going to read particularly verse 25. And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. Verse 26 said, Men's hearts failing them for fear, and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Everybody said, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All right. Be seated. The Lord bless you. I want to work on don't distress out this morning. All right. As I stated in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and also here Luke 21, Jesus was dealing with things that had to do, particularly in the time which we are living, at least that's part of it that we're going to focus on today. But he did deal with three questions and three answers to the questions, and yet you must uh, rightly divide the word of truth and uh, begin to understand it in the light of overall subject matter. For an example, as he brought four of his disciples uh, along with him, then the Bible teaches that they begin to marvel at certain man-made things and just going on about how great it, it was, you know. And he began to tell them that, uh, in other words, he began to temper their enthusiasm about human things. And he told them, he said, uh, there's not, for an example, they were all excited about these stones that were cut out of a quarry and that from them they had made uh, a temple. And the stones, when the light hit it, would reflect in certain ways, and oh, it was something else. So anyway, they, uh, the Lord said, there's, when they marveled about it, the Lord said, I'm telling you, there's not going to be left one stone upon another. Now he was referring to something that was going to take place very shortly in their time, the time of the people that he was talking to right then, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And um, yet he, they, in reaction to what he had said, they, like many, that's why I tell people this, I have a question, I'll say, well, three, four quarters, you know, because like them, they, the questions begin to pop out one after another. It wasn't so much just one question. And, uh, and then you also have the people that will, God bless you, everybody, and uh, it's just something humorous sometimes for leadership that they'll begin to uh, tell you that they have a question, and then 45 minutes later you're like, is there a question in there somewhere? And uh, so 
anyway, they begin to uh, deal with the Lord here, and the Lord began to deal with them. And he, they asked him, they said, when shall these things be? Uh, came into the sign of his coming also, and then the sign of the end of the world. So these things be, well, that dealt with that question and answer dealt with then and there in their time. Certain things that took place, like the destruction of the temple and the uh, famine that was in the land at that time and the situations that were upon them, that was those times. And Jesus answered those questions and th that question. And then he went on and dealt with the sign of his coming and also the sign of the end of the world. Now, what you want to realize about the Lord's coming is there are, in subject matter, there's two very important prepositions. And one of them is when the Lord will come back for, preposition, F-O-R, for the church. Okay? That's known as the first resurrection in your Bible. And blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Because upon him the second death hath no power. So there will be a second resurrection, but it will be a resurrection that is termed and preached uh, the double death, when people will have died and they will be in the wrong place and then they will be resurrected for the second resurrection, not the first, but they will be in the second resurrection, which will be a time of judgment when that throne will descend and one will sit on the throne and the books, plural, the books will be opened and one of them will be the book of life and whosoever's name is not found in the book of life and those that were not, did not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, then they're going to find themselves facing death for the second time, only it will be, of course, an eternal death. That means that a person, unfortunately, will find themselves in a world without end. You've heard this quote, the quote or the saying, find somebody find themselves in a world of hurt? Well, this will be a world of hurt without end. Now, if you get a whooping, more than likely after a while, you know, you're your broken bone will heal and your bruised face will clear up and, and uh, the aches and the pains will go away. You could be in a car wreck and you could be in a world of hurt, couldn't you? And, uh, but eventually you will heal and you will mend and the aches and the pains will go away. Uh, you can also get in a car wreck and feel great and then three days later you can't get out of the bed. And you, you wake up and you're in a world of hurt. And uh, time to go see the chiropractor or something like that. Get, a, get some kind of an adjustment. Well, <clears throat> what I'm saying to you is, though, that people, unfortunately, upon death, <clears throat> they will find themselves in a world of hurt, in a world of pain. And uh, it will be the beginning, though, of a world of, of, of hurt and pain without end. That's the difference. There will be no end to that pain and suffering and sorrow. And the worst thing about it is that 
the individuals will have their memory. And that's where the Bible talked about being beaten with many stripes. And that the, the whipping that your own memory will give to you because you sat in those services. I had to make a church honeydew run this morning. And uh, so I ran down to Husey. Well, I bumped into Omar. That was a world of hurt. Well, anyway, I bumped into Omar. And uh, so he assisted me, and we got a few things that we needed. And, and uh, while we were there, uh, and I, we witnessed to a few people, invited a few people to church, and uh, when we were getting our bags together to leave, there was a man that came on uh, the line, and um, I looked up and saw him, and I said, hey, you know, and I talked to him a little bit, and mentioned church, and got the typical response from him that I've gotten as I mentioned to Omar that is a man that is going to be very miserable uh, for all of eternity. I said, because I've been working with him since he was a young little boy. And I said, he's a grown man, and now, and uh, I can't tell you the number of times, it's without number, that I've invited him to church, that I've talked to him, that I've tried to get on a level with him to where he could respond favorably and do what he needs to do. But instead, you know, he chooses to mock, make fun, make light. And if he can pick up any bit of bad talk or gossip, then he, he uses that to justify why he, you know, doesn't come on and do what he needs to do. Uh, it's amazing that some people just scour around like Sherlock Holmes, you know. They got the magnifying glass out, and they've just got to find something to use to justify to themselves why they're not obeying God, why they're not doing what they should do. And if they can find the smallest, slightest little thing, and they'll use that, and they'll hang on that. And uh, I've heard people say lots of times, you know, I'm not going down to that church. There ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites down there. You know? Well, uh, I'm going to tell you what. There will be hypocrites that come to the church house. There will be that. But that doesn't mean they're in the church. There's a difference. The church house is what's keeping us out of that little sprinkle of rain out there right now. And uh, we're not having to ingest, especially me speaking right now, bugs as they fly around. One preacher told about uh, being in full force in preaching, and uh, a bug went right in his open mouth, and he said, I felt those two arms and two legs skittering down the sides of my throat while I was trying to preach. And uh, so that's an uncomfortable thing. So the, the uh, church house, Shields us from most of that, doesn't it? And we have an air conditioner that's presently working, thank God. And we're very thankful for that. And uh, it controls the climate for us, doesn't it? I come here early in the morning many times. It's very stuffy and very muggy. But we turn the air conditioner on, and after a little bit, it begins to pull, pull the moisture out of the air. And it begins to deal with the temperature, and it brings it down or up depending on the situation. And, of course, if it has to come up, then we have to employ the heater. And then we have to deal with the dust that sits on those heat strips and makes that smell. But uh, nothing's perfect, church family, outside of the Holy Ghost. And we are here on earth, and we are going to have to deal with some things. And uh, that's what Jesus was telling them here in these chapters uh, as he began to answer these questions and as he began to tell them uh, about the sign of his coming. There will come a time when Jesus will return for the church. 
and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then the church, the body of Christ that is active and alive and doing the work of God at that moment will be caught up and changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and will join them and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be. And that will take place. That's a reality that is to come. And it's fast coming upon us in our time in which we live. So the difference being now is that there are other preposition that dealt with the Lord coming back with His saints. So if He's coming back with them, that means He's got them because He came for them. Okay? So when He takes them in the first resurrection, the dead in Christ and those that are alive and remaining, then He takes them. And the scriptural teaching is He will take the church, the body of Christ, He will take them to what's referred to as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then at the time appointed, then He will bring the saints with Him from the marriage supper of the Lamb to the Mount of Olives in Israel. And that will bring about and signal the Battle of Armageddon, which you often, no doubt, have heard preached or talked about. And it's going to be the Battle of All Battles, no doubt about that. But you know what? Um, Here on earth, in the body of Christ, we are not to be spectators. We're not to sit back and just, let's go in. No, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to be participators. We're supposed to get in this and get with it. It's not a battle of fighting or shooting. It is not a physical battle, but it is a spiritual battle. And we are to be in that fray. We are to be in that battle. The weapons of our warfare, again, are not guns. They're not knives. They're not grenades. They're not AK-47s. They're not tanks. They're not bombs. They're not any of those things. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They are spiritual weapons. And they pull down the enemy's stronghold. All right, everybody said amen. Amen. And so we now have the opportunity to fight the good fight of faith. All right? We we had a, um, I was told this about a preacher that uh, was pastoring a church, and he hadn't been pastoring too very long, and he became uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and called to preach at a later age. And um, he was uh, pastoring this church, and uh, a woman was... uh, trying to live for God. She was brand new, and her, and her husband uh, was a bully. And uh, he brought one of his friends to church because he was going to beat the preacher up because he was mad uh, about his wife's life changing, we would say, for the good, but he didn't like that. He was a control freak, and, and you know, he felt like he had to be the boss, you know. And so he, um, of course, the only thing he was qualified, and I would say he wasn't qualified, he thought he was qualified, to boss and had the power to was his wife. Couldn't do it anywhere else with anyone else because he wasn't qualified. But, uh, but uh, unfortunately, he really wasn't qualified to boss his wife because he wasn't too good about bossing himself. But anyway, he uh, came to church, and uh, he came with the intent to beat up the preacher. And, uh, you know, sometimes the devil absolutely gives people really bad ideas. And um, there are things that the devil knows, but he doesn't care to tell you. And because you're going to find out that the devil is never in your favor. He, he'll set you up for a fall. 
and uh, when he gets done using you to do the, the harm and the havoc that he will use you for, then he'll turn on you, and he'll, he'll set you up. Well, this, this big strapping man comes into church, and he figures he's going to put a whooping on the preacher. So um, a, a, a little fuss began to ensue because he was lifting his voice and saying stuff, and, and so the pastor became aware of it, and then he discerned what was going on, and he, uh, he told the man, he said he most informed he and the other guy to come towards the back of the church where his office was at. And so they began to make their way back there very belligerently, you know, and scowl and balled up fists and grumbling and cussing and everything else. And so uh, the preacher had preceded them, and he got to his office, and he opened the door, and he turned on the light. And, and he stepped to the door, and he looked down the hallway, and he motioned for the husband to come in. He said, you, you come in first. So he came in. The door was shut, and the next thing you were hearing, thump, thump, bam, 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 thump, 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 thump. See, the devil didn't tell that guy that the preacher was a former professional fighter. <laughs> and so after the slamming and the bamming and the smashing, the preacher then stepped to the door and he opened the door and he looked out at the second guy and he went, and the second guy said, I believe I'm going to leave. And he hit the door and ran out. <laughs> and uh, so then the preacher came out and he looked at the church family and he said, I'm going to resign, he said, because... I got out of the Holy Ghost, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, they wouldn't let him resign. <laughs> they loved him too much. And, uh, but unfortunately, he did revert to the flesh. And uh, he did use the wrong weapon. <laughs> well, there's not too many people that would fault him about it, I guess. But uh, I know that woman was a mighty happy woman. I think, she, I think the, the, that young man uh, got a, a, a whooping and a lesson that he deserved. And uh, one thing to... Being on the woman who's helpless, but it's another thing to run into somebody that's not quite so helpless, I guess. And uh, so, but our weapons are not flesh. And our weapons are not to be uh, used that way and done that way. Um, so we've got to, uh, we've got to get victory over those things. And we have to learn to rely on the Lord. I want to make that clear. Uh, there'll always be somebody bigger or better. There'll always be a, a more powerful weapon. There will always be things of that nature unless you rely on the Lord and let God do things for you in a spiritual way. Everybody said amen. amen. <clears throat> Brother and Sister Bowens, I'm going to ask you to slide down, and Tom's going to bring you right over here next to Brother Bowens if you want. Yep. Thank you so much. Good to have 50 here. and We can bless you both. All right. So I will tell you one more story along those lines. There was a... Um, a fellow that came into church, and he was a big strapping guy, and, and uh, he just fell in love with Jesus, and he got baptized, he got the Holy Ghost, and his whole life got changed for the good and turned around, and so one day, the church was out um, knocking doors and inviting people to church, and, and uh, this guy, when the door was knocked on, he pulled the door open, and, and the guy's just standing there with a crack in his hand, you know, and this guy's mad, and he's ugly, and he's saying bad things, and next thing you know, the, the guy that brought the track and had knocked on the door, he went back to the person that was a uh, youth leader that was leading the going out and knocking on doors, and he, his head's hanging down, and he's just shaking his head, and he said, what's wrong? He said, oh, he said, man, he said, I, I, I'm sorry. He said, what? So he took him back to the house, and this guy's laying on the ground knocked out. <laughs> 
He said, what did you do? He said, big old giant sign. He said, I couldn't help it. He said, he was talking bad about my Jesus. <laughs> well, we don't want to do things like that. Okay, and he had to, he was brand new and he had some things to learn and he reverted to an old lifestyle because he was a former motorcycle gang rider. And uh, I guess he was what they called one of hell's angels and we're trying to make him one of heaven's angels now and we don't do that. <laughs> so, um, you know, some people think that everybody that lives for God is, is some kind of uh, sissy or something and that's very far from the truth. But we're not out to prove that to you in that manner. And it is true that real men do love Jesus and real men do live for Jesus. And uh, that other stuff is a bunch of uh, nonsense and uh, bravado. And uh, I remember um, reading a true story about a man that uh, he, he got cancer of the brain. And um, he, uh, along with uh, several other diseases that came into his life, but he had lived a life of drug abuse. He was a football player, professionally. I could tell you the team he played for in his name. I read the article. And uh, he was a very feared football player. And uh, uh, he had quite a reputation for that. But now, now he's lost over 100 pounds. Now he's down to frail and weak and sick and uh, a lot of problems. And from all of the years of the steroids and things of that nature in trying to be big and bad and tough, and uh, muscular, have a, he wanted to have the muscles of a horse instead of a man. And uh, so he, uh, he's dying, and uh, they interviewed him. They talked to him. That's where this article came from. And they asked him about how he had been so fearful and how he had been so dominating and this and that and the other. And he said, that's a bunch of nonsense, he said. He said that's all just hype and talk, and there ain't nothing to that. And here he is just, just laying in his deathbed, and he's down to nothing, you know, and I'm telling you that people live fake and phony lives. People, people live a lot of hype. And, and people have, uh, what do we want to call it? They have gimmicks in an attempt to make a lot of money and to gain a lot of fame. And it's fake. It's phony. It's not real. And I am saying to you that there is a life that is real. There is a life that is genuine. There is a real God, and he has a real church. And when they looked at the stones of the temple and they bragged on it, Jesus was trying to let them know that there's nothing to that. There's not going to be left one stone upon another. That which you're putting so much confidence in, that which you're ooing and eyeing over, and that you think is so great, he said, there's not going to be left one stone upon another. That which you're trusting in, that which you're relying on, is absolutely going to fall down. And you know how God brought that to pass? And he could have done it so many ways. But what he did was they had so much gold in the temple that they were bragging on it. On the inside of the temple, there, were gold in, there was gold in the walls. There was many fixtures and so many things in those days. And when the Romans attacked Jerusalem and uh, they couldn't get over the high walls, they couldn't get through the walls, they couldn't get in those big gates, and uh, so the, the Roman emperor sat back and thought for a minute and said, all right. And so he built a rampart of dirt all the way up to the top of the wall and marched his army right over the wall. <laughs> Down they went into that city, which they had surrounded and had weakened them because they hadn't been able to get anybody could go in and go out. 
So he waited until they were very weak from, from hunger. Famine had been sore in the land, and people were diseased, and many were dying, and there was uh, fire, uh, funeral pyres in there because they had to, they couldn't get out of the city to take people and burn them uh, because of the disease attached to the bodies, to the decaying bodies. So they had to take areas within the city, and they had to do it. And so when, the, when they built that wall, that rampart, and they marched their army up to the top of the walls and started to leap down and put ropes down to get down to the other side, top of the wall, and the people realized what was happening, and the, and the, the priests, the Jewish priests, realized what was happening. They set the temple on fire. And when they set the temple on fire, it was so bad and so hot and so destructive that it melted the gold. And the gold melted down into the foundation of the wall. And so when they plundered the city, they began to dismantle the walls of the temple in an attempt not only to get in it, but to get the gold that melted down into the foundation. And thus, not one stone was left upon another. And everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said praise the Lord. Praise well, you know, God has his ways of bringing his word to pass. And he foresees it all. And he knows what's going to happen. You and I will be wise to pay a lot of attention to God's word. We will, we will be wise to listen to what the writer said here and what he recorded as Jesus taught about the sign of his coming and of the end of the world. Okay? And so one of the things he said here was that he wanted you to look. Okay? He said, behold. He wants you to, that's what the word behold means. It means look, you know. He wants you to take a good look, not only in the Word of God, but pay attention to what's going on around you in this world. And listen to what he said once again here in the uh, 21st chapter of the book of Luke. And he says in verse 25, And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations. Distress, that's to cause a, a, a strain, okay? It's to bring an anxiety, which is a fear of the unknown. And it puts you, uh, it puts your nerves on edge. It, it causes you to ex, uh, experience a lot of stress, okay? And so you want to understand, he said, that's going to be a characteristic in, your in this time that I'm telling you about. There's going to be distress upon the nations. It's not just going to be one person or one type of person, but it's going to be nations. Not even going to be just one nation of people, but it's going to be nations. So it's going to be worldwide. It's going. Some people try to tell you that everything's going to happen over there. It's all going to happen over in that little strip of land known as Israel. It's just going to happen to the Jewish people. And, you know, then there's what we like to give to you, what's called the the right teaching, okay? It's not just going to be over there, all right? It's going to be worldwide. It's going to affect everybody everywhere. And he told you here, there shall be signs. And he said, and upon the earth, distress of nations. There's going to be acute physical discomfort. All right? And that doesn't sound like something, that sounds like a world of hurt. That's what that sounds like. 
Okay, it's kind of like, you know, when all of a sudden you grab your back because you just experienced a sharp pain, and it, somebody said, oh, my sciatica is acting up again. Well, you know your sciatica is a nerve. And it goes all the way down through your leg to your feet. And it's about as thick as your thumb. It's not a little skinny, almost invisible nerve. And so when you feel that acute physical discomfort due to your sciatica, it's because probably a muscle has decided to seize that sciatica nerve and squeeze it. <laughs> and so you feel a lot of sharp or acute physical discomfort. Well, distress is acute physical discomfort. It can bring that about because of the effect that in your mind you're feeling so much anxiety and so much strain that it, it begins to work through your nervous system. It begins to work through your muscles. begins to deal with every part of you. Different people deal with different problems in different ways. And some people internalize everything. And in keeping it all bottled up inside, that they come to a place where, well, let me say it to you like this. It's, you're in the dentist chair, and, uh, you know, you're feeling it now. Something has worn off. Or he didn't give you enough of that Novocaine or whatever they use. And, and all of a sudden, he hits that nerve. Well, you can do one of two things. You can, it's either fight or flight. Well, you're not going to probably fight the dentist because he's holding the needle and he's holding the drill or whatever he's using. And, uh, and you're, you can't run because you're, you're there, friend. You're laying back and your mouth is wide open. It might even be cranked open, <laughs> jacked open, you know. So, uh, so what happens is in situations like that, and it happens in in times of great distress, you faint. <laughs> in other words, all your everything just goes to a certain point and it just, whoop, that's it. And you, you just black out. So, uh, or you somehow push your way through it. Distress of nations, okay, doesn't sound like a happy time, does it? And it's not going to be a happy time. It's going to be a, a painful sorrow. Not just going to be sorrow, but it's going to be a painful sorrow. A sorrow that can be felt. It's going to be a state of physical and mental suffering. Distress upon the nations. People are going to wonder what to do. They're, not, they're going to be one place in the scripture, quote unquote, said they are at their wits end. And all of their figuring things out and all of their smartness and all of their little ways of doing things and getting around things and figuring things out and getting by and all the scams, uh, they'll be at their wit's end. Nothing will be working. Nothing will be working. Distress of nations and anxious concern, anxious concern. But the good thing, the good news, is that Jesus is teaching this to his church and he is warning his church and letting them know what they're going to be surrounded with. Because, you know, all of the things that I could give to you here in, uh, in explanation of distress 
was pretty well shown to us by example through the Bible when the children of Israel were in Egypt and when the plagues begin to hit because the leadership, Pharaoh, who was a type of the devil, ruled by the enemy, that he was hardened his heart and even to the point that God said, I'll harden your heart. You want to play tough with me? He said, fine. You want to, get, you want to play hardball? Well, I'm going to make it even harder. I'm going to harden your heart. And in so doing, it brought about one plague after another. God turned all the water into blood. And when that, and God, you know, I could just imagine old Pharaoh, okay, Moses, I've had enough. And God's saying, no, you haven't. You haven't had enough. And, he, and God, of course, is always right, and he was right, because Pharaoh would say, okay, you can go. Moses, take the people. You can go worship God. You can go live for God. Go ahead. Get your church and get out of here. And uh, he'd think about it like one man said, well, I thought about it, and then I got mad. Well, that's what old, old Pharaoh did. And he got mad, and then he, he'd make it tough again on God's people and, and uh, increase the workload, increase the situation of, of hardship for them. And so Moses come back and said, okay, Pharaoh, I'm here again. Are you ready? And, of course, Pharaoh was feeling big and bad. And bring it on. So, you know, then came the next play. And I, you pick the one you like. I don't know. You like the frogs? You like the lice? What do you like? Do you like the lightning running along the ground and the, the boils? <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of, there were ten of them. But uh, if, the, if, if all nine of them, evidently, Pharaoh just kept getting harder and harder. And, and, and he wasn't, every time he'd change his mind and say, you can't go, after he said they could go. And so, uh, next thing you know, Pharaoh's household is nice and asleep in the comfort of their palace, and all oh, they kick back and just, you know, snoring and so feeling so content. I took care of that Moses guy. I took care of the preacher. I took care of the church. I took care of that. Ain't going nowhere. Ain't going so next thing you know, there was a cry that shrieked through the air. Pharaoh sat straight up in his bed. And what in the world was that? And it got louder. And, it, you know, it kind of sounded like your alarm clock in the morning when you were really sleeping soundly and it went off, right? And you're fumbling to find it and turn that thing off. Okay, okay, I'm getting up, okay. Okay, well, old Mr. Old Mr. Pharaoh was, was sitting straight up in the bed and trying to find out what is the cause of all of this wailing and crying and screaming. And as he began to investigate and send servants, and what's going on? He found out that the death angel had come through the land. And he found out from his bedchamber of his child, firstborn, all the way down, through the rest of the population in Egypt of the Egyptians, that all the firstborn, even of the beasts of the field, had died at that moment. And apparently, that was the, uh, the moment for a little season for Pharaoh to call for the preacher and to say, okay, get him and get out. Go, you can go. And while you're going, we're going to give you stuff to take with you, too. We'll throw in a little... Go, please, hurry up. Get, get, get. And so they went. So they went. And the reason, because Pharaoh, Pharaoh didn't have 
what the church wanted to give them. And you want what God, through His church, wants to give you. You see, Pharaoh didn't have the instruction of the word of the Lord and the provision that he needed. Now, this is Pharaoh who owns everything. You know, he, he, he's dripping in gold, but it wasn't helping him in that moment. He didn't need gold. What he needed was the blood of the lamb. And you see, Passover had been instituted and had those instructions had been given by God to Moses, Moses to the elders, down to each family, each person. And they put the blood over the doorpost of the lamb that they had slain, and they ate the meal, and they ate it in haste because we're going out of here. We're going to be moving and moving quickly for God. And so God, in spite of all of the opposition, God made a way, didn't he? And that's what God will do. He will make a way in spite of the opposition, in spite of the boats and the big talk and the, uh, what do they call it, the rattling of sabers and, and uh, words and sounds that are designed to inspire fear and fright. But you see, there was something greater and stronger, and that was that God had given His Word to His leadership, to His people, and given them the plan. And the plan is, you do what I tell you. You make sure you slay that lamb and you prepare that meal and you take the blood of that lamb and you put it over the lintels of your door casing, of your house. Because he said, when the death angel comes through and he sees that blood of the lamb, he's going to pass you by. He's going to pass over. He has instructions. He's not going to enter in to your house. And that's what happened, friend. They got up and they went out on a full stomach and they were prepared and ready to go. And I want you to understand that God has a plan and what you need in this day and in this hour and in this time. Everything they did in the Old Testament was a shadow and a type or a preview. It was a blueprint. It was, it was a shadow of heavenly things, of things to come. But it was not the very thing itself. Because the Lamb of God was yet to come. Well, I want you to hear what John the baptizer said. Back to that word, behold. Look, he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And Jesus the Christ in the days of his flesh came walking over the hillside and said, John, I've come to be baptized. And John said, no way. He said, you need to baptize me. I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus said, John, pipe down. Do what I tell you. You know, sometimes we're talking when we ought to be listening. We're talking when we ought to be following instructions. We ought to be just doing what we're told. And it doesn't always come with fanfare, with, with sparks and lightnings and thunderings, okay? Matter of fact, John the Revelator got some things in thunderings, and God said you can't tell anybody about it either. <laughs> so didn't get to share the thunder, did he? But that didn't make what he was saying any less powerful, did it? And so you want to understand the word of the Lord is powerful all by itself. Nothing has more authority. This planet is in its place because of the word of the Lord. It's hanging. You've heard people say, uh, it was so good I was just hanging on every word. Well, <laughs> everything is hanging on God's word. 
Everything is hanging. That's the only reason this planet at this second is not dislodged as it's going to be and fall into a burning lake of a bottomless pit and everything within it burning up for eternity. Let me tell you, it's because of God's Word. And that God's Word is what you want to hear. He said, listen to me. He said, here's the church, and I've given them my Word. They have the plan. They have the instruction. They have the blueprint, and now we're going to actually build it. It's not going to just be a blueprint. I love blueprints. I got more blueprints than I know what to do with about this building at my house, and they're all rolled up and put in different places and try to keep it a little neat. But let me tell you something. The blueprint is just paper and ink. But it's awful nice when you get the real thing, isn't it? Okay, well, let me say to you, I want him, and he is the real thing, and you want to let him do for you the real thing. Let him do that. Let him do that. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Friday night at the rally, I I didn't... um, Get too rambunctious because, you know, we had a guest speaker all the way from Canada. And uh, we laughed and told him he, he came out of the tundra. And he added the adjective that he said that would be the frozen tundra <laughs> of Canada. And he came down to preach for us. And what a great job and marvelous job he did. And I'm making it available to you on CDs. And, um, but he, uh, I said a few words. I was asked to say something. And I, like I said, I didn't get too rambunctious. But I did. Remember a time when we preached about shut up and fish. So I told them tonight it's shut up and pray. And there is a time when we just need to close everything else down. You know, I'm, I like questions. Marvin asked me so many questions, he has to put them in his phone and go one at a time down, the, you know. He goes way beyond the three for a quarter. I have to start charging him. Good fundraiser. But, uh, There is a time for even the questions to stop because they can become foolish. You ever read that in your Bible? And unlearned. You ever read that in your Bible? Oh, yeah. Foolish and unlearned questions. And what do they do? What do foolish and unlearned questions do? What does your Bible say? They gender strife. So there's a time to shut up and pray. Better that we put our strength and our power and our mind to a better thing, which is prayer. And there is a season, and I do think we are in that season. So let us, let us realize the time in which we live. Let us be aware that, uh, as I said earlier, we don't want to, in this dispensation, period of time, we do not want to be spectators. It's time to be participators. There will come a time when Jesus, after having come for the church and then taking them to the marriage supper of the Lamb, he will come back with the church. And that's when we're going to get the, and if you want to do the thing, you can. Okay? You can can do that. All right? You get to be a spectator because, you see, Jesus is going to do the fighting. Jesus is going to do the fighting. He's going to put his foot on that mountain over there. And when he does, it's going gonna, it's gonna to part. <laughs> it's going to split, and it's going to part. And you know what? That's the only split that I want anything to do with. Give God a big hand.
All right, let's take a moment. Let's lift our hearts with our hands. Let the mighty power of the living God touch you this morning in this service. Let's worship Him together.